So I heard this story about one Easter, a father was teaching his son to drive when out of nowhere, a rabbit jumped on the road. Slamming on the brakes, the son said, I nearly ruined Easter. I almost ran over the Easter bunny. His father replied, it's okay, son. You missed it by a hair. How many of you brought your Bibles tonight? Let's see the Bibles. Again, we want to emphasize that everything we preach is in the Word of God. It's not based on our opinion, what we think, but what is in the Word. So tonight, I want to preach a message called Patience in the Pit. Patience in the Pit. Go over to Isaiah 40, and let's look at verses 1 and 2. David is speaking here. This is a psalm about David who was physically thrown into a pit. And he said this, I waited patiently for the Lord, and he inclined to me and heard my cry. He also brought me out of a horrible pit, out of the miry clay, and set my feet upon a rock and established my steps. So David said that the Lord brought him out of a horrible pit. We're talking about patience in the pit tonight. So let's define the word pit. That word pit there literally means dungeon. Now, some of you may have never been in a physical dungeon. You've never been in a physical jail. But you may at times have felt trapped in where you are in life. Like there's nowhere to go. You're just stuck in a rut. This isn't just a normal pit here. The Bible says it is a horrible pit. The word horrible there means devastation or destruction. So we could say it this way, that this is a pit of destruction. Again, I want you to think about your own life, where you are. Normally, a pit is a large cavity or hole in the ground. Pit prisoners were actually thrown in there to just waste away. Have you ever been in your life where you just felt your life was just wasting away? Like you weren't going anywhere. All your freedoms and liberties are completely stripped away when you're in a pit. Now, beside a physical pit, we could look at a pit emotionally. And we could say it this way, it's a place or situation of uselessness, misery, or inferiority. Think about that. A place or situation of useful uselessness, misery, or inferiority. This is a place where it robs you of all your dignity and worth. God didn't create you to be like that. But Satan comes to steal your self-esteem. He wants you to think of yourself as a nobody. When you're in a pit like that, it creates deep emotional stress. So it could be a pit of poor health. You know, you, you could just go through one thing after another, and how many of you know that begins to affect you? It begins to affect the way you think, the way you act. It could be a pit of a loss of job. All of a sudden, you're worried about how am I going to come up with finances? How am I going to pay the bills? How am I going to take care of my family? That could be your emotional pit. 
It could be a pit of betrayal of friends. Here's people that you really trusted, people you confided in, you cared about them, and now they betrayed you. It could be a pit of unfaithfulness of a spouse. That's going to affect you. That's going to affect how you think, how you act. It could be a pit of rebellious children. And again, as a result of that, it's going to affect your life or any other overwhelming circumstance. This is a pit of destruction. This is a pit of devastation, and it's having an effect on people's lives. Now, if you ended up in a pit, you may be responsible. It may be a result of things that you've done, sin that you've gotten into that has placed you in that pit. Or you may be a victim of something or someone, and as a result, you found yourself in the pit. Either way, the question is, how do you get yourself out? So let's look at what David did here. The first thing he says is, I waited patiently for the Lord. Patience in the pit. That word waited means to wait, look eagerly for, hope, expect. Again, wait. To wait, look eagerly for, hope, or expect. That means that it indicates that there is a trust and a confidence that the Lord is going to rescue you out of your situation. How many of you are glad that there is a rescue? That you're just not stuck there? That this isn't the way it's going to be for the rest of your life? There is an expectation that your situation is actually going to change. So when David is saying, I waited patiently for the Lord, he's expecting the Lord to show up. He's expecting the Lord to get him out of that situation. Are you doing that in your situation? Do you expect the Lord is going to show up? Or have you just given up? The Lord is either going to show up or you've given up. And again, you just settle for the way that things are. This word waited literally means waiting. I waited. Oh, what does that mean? I think the Message Bible brings us across the best. It says, I waited and waited and waited for God. I'm not giving up. I'm not losing hope. I am expecting him to show up. So this isn't a passive ho-hum waiting. Anyone ever went to the doctor before? Anyone? Guess what? They put you in a waiting room. And your appointment could be 9 o'clock. 9.05, 9.10, 9.15, you're still waiting. Is this guy ever going to call on me? And all of a sudden, the nurse comes out. Mr. Smith, oh, that's me. Are you ready? Am I ready? I've been ready. And you know what they do? You go from the waiting room to another room, and you wait, and you wait, and you, you wonder if this guy even works here. Do you even have a doctor by this name? I can't pronounce his name, but... This isn't that kind of waiting. This is an intently active urgency where you expect God's promises to be fulfilled in your life. 
If the Word of God says it, then I'm grabbing a hold of it, and I'm going to believe that it's going to happen. Now, this just isn't any kind of waiting. Notice what he said. I waited patiently for the Lord. Patience in the pit. That word patiently means the capacity to accept or tolerate delay, trouble, or suffering without getting angry or upset. Oh, that's hard to do. Let me say that again. Patiently, the capacity to accept or tolerate delay, trouble, or suffering without getting angry or upset. A lot of us, when we're waiting for God to move in our life, we can get kind of irritated. We can get kind of angry. We, Lord, are you coming through or not? See, we need to understand God's timing doesn't always coincide with our timing. We're Americans. We want everything instant. We want it now. Lord, deal with it now. Where is he? I mean, I thought I was his child. I thought I was his favorite. Why isn't he working in my life? Again, we need to understand that God is in control and we need to trust in his timing. God's delays are not his denials. God's delays are not his denials. Just because it's not happening doesn't mean he's forgotten you. He knows you're in the pit. He's working things out. Just be patient while you're in the pit. Go over to Isaiah 40, and let's look at verses 28 through 31. Isaiah 40, verses 28 through 31. It says, it starts out with some questions. Have you not known? Have you not heard? The everlasting God, the Lord, the creator of the ends of the earth, neither faints nor is weary. His understanding is unsearchable. He gives power to the weak. And to those who have no might, he increases strength. Even the youths shall faint and be weary. And the young men shall utterly fall. But those who wait upon the Lord shall renew their strength. They shall mount up with wings like eagles. They shall run and not be weary. They shall walk and not faint. Notice the Bible says, those who wait upon the Lord. So if we look at what we, what we learned before, then it's saying those who wait and wait and wait upon the Lord, expecting God to move in their life. The word wait here has another definition, which I find interesting. It means to be gathered together. To be gathered together. If we were to actually take that and apply it to us in this modern day age, what it would actually mean is those who go to church. Those who go to church. Church is a gathering together. So what it's saying is, those who go to church shall renew their strength. 
They shall mount up with wings like eagles. They shall run and not be weary. Why? Because when we gather together corporately, it does something to us. We see someone else in church, and we see God moving in their life, and we think, well, if he's moving in their life, he can move in mine. When we gather together, we actually are a strength to those who are weak. We help each other. Iron sharpens iron. It's either easier to believe for something with a group of corporate believers than on an island all by yourself. So church is important. God understood that. We are a body. We are a family. We are there for one another. Now, what happens after David waits patiently for the Lord? Notice what it says going back to Psalm 40. God inclined, which means he turned his attention to him and heard his cry. I like when God focuses on me. I like when God puts his attention on me. Because I need God in my life. Do you? Go over to Psalm 91.15 and let's look at this from a different verse. Same concept. In Psalm 91.15, it says, He shall call upon me. Now this is God speaking. He shall call upon me and I will answer him. I will be with him in trouble. I will deliver him and honor him. So God is saying that when you call upon him, he's going to answer you. You're not going to get call waiting. You're not going to get boop, to voicemail. Hello, this is the Lord God speaking. I'm not available right now, but please leave a message and I'll try to get back to you later. Enjoy your pit. All right? God does not... He is there for us. You call, He answers. That's the way it works. No, but you have to initiate. You have to make the call. Lord, I need you. All right, I'm there. He responds to your need. It says, I will be with Him in trouble. That word trouble means adversity, affliction, anguish, distress, trouble. So God will be with you when you're in adversity, when you're in affliction, when you're in anguish, when you're in distress, when you are in trouble. Jesus said, I will never leave or forsake you. God doesn't see you in trouble and think, I don't want to deal with that. Angels. Get me out of here. Is there someone else I can help? No. He's there for you. He was there with Daniel in the lion's den. He was there with Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego when they were thrown into the fiery furnace. He was there with David when he was in his pit. And he will be with you when you are in a pit. The next thing it says is, he brought me out of a horrible pit. So when you are down, he lifts you up. He will rescue you from the pit of depression. He will rescue you from the pit of insecurity. He will rescue you from the pit of despair. 
And it says, he not only brought you out of the horrible pit, we're back in Psalm 40, but out of the miry clay. I remember we used to sing a song about that. And most of all, what is miry clay? I don't know what it is, but it just doesn't sound good. See, when you are down, he lifts you up. Miry clay is muddy. It's a muddy, swampy pit of despair. You ever walk in mud? Your feet start getting stuck. You can't go where you normally go. What about quicksand? Quicksand tries to bring you down. So this is a place that causes you to sink or get stuck. You've been in those kind of places in life where it just feels like you're sinking. You're just stuck. You're not going anywhere. Life is moving around you, but you just seem to be standing still. According to this, God delivers you from the muck and mire of life. Then it says that he set my feet upon a rock. Oh, I like that. That means you're no longer in an unstable situation. He puts you somewhere where stability comes into your life. That word set means to raise up, to cause to rise. So instead of sinking, he raises you up. Instead of instability, he gives you security. You are no longer sinking through life. The word rock there means a place of security. How many of you want security in your life? I mean, right now, we look at what's going on in the world, and it seems anything but secure. Gas prices keep going up. Food cost goes up. And we might look and think, how are we going to make it? How are we going to survive? Well, you serve a God who is more than enough. He sets your feet upon a rock. He gives you stability. Jesus is the rock. So we need to focus on him. And then it says, and established my steps. That word establish means direct. So God directs your steps. He shows you where to go. See, if you're not paying attention, you may walk into a pit. How did I get here? I don't understand it. Were you focused on God? Were you allowing him to direct your steps? Now, Easter is this Sunday, and we celebrate the resurrection of our Lord and Savior Jesus Christ. But before that resurrection took place, I taught just recently on Saturday that Jesus prayed intently in a garden. He was whipped. He was crucified. He was thrown into a tomb. So all that took place before he was resurrected. I want to look more closely at the night of his arrest in the garden. So go over to Matthew 26, and we're going to look at verses 57 through 67. Matthew 26, 57 through 67, and chapter 27, 
1 and 2. And I'm just going to read this, so just listen to what happened. And those who laid hold of Jesus led him away to Caiaphas, the high priest, where the scribes and elders were assembled. But Peter followed him at a distance to the high priest's courtyard. And he went in and he sat with the servants to see the end. Now the chief priests, the elders, and all the council sought false testimony against Jesus to put him to death. But they found none. Even though many false witnesses came forward, they found none. But at last, two false witnesses came forward and said, This fellow said, I am able to destroy the temple of God and build it up in three days. And the high priest arose and said to him, Do you answer nothing? What is it that these men testify against you? But Jesus kept silent. And the high priest answered and said to him, I put you under oath by the living God. Tell us if you are the Christ, the Son of God. Jesus said to them, It is as you said. Nevertheless, I say to you, hereafter you will see the Son of Man sitting at the right hand of power and coming on the clouds of heaven. Then the high priest tore his clothes, saying, He has spoken blasphemy. What further need we do? We don't need any other witnesses. Look, now you have heard his blasphemy. What do you think? They answered and said, He is deserving of death. Then they spat in his face and beat him. And others struck him with the palm of their hand, saying, Prophesy to us, Christ, who is the one who struck you? Chapter 27. When morning came, all the chief priests and elders of the people plotted against Jesus to put him to death. And when they had bound him, they led him away and delivered him to Pontius Pilate, the governor. So Jesus, being a Jew, is brought before Caiaphas, the high priest, who is the religious leader of the time. The problem that they had with Jesus is that he called himself the Son of God. That's what they couldn't grasp. That's what they couldn't fathom. Now, the Jewish leaders did not have the authority to put someone to death, so they had to take him to Pontius Pilate. But before that, the Bible says they spat in his face, form of disrespect, humiliation. They struck him, form of devaluing and mocking his position. And then it says when morning came, they brought him to Pontius Pilate. Here's what I want you to see. Here's where I'll tie it all together. Where did Jesus spend that night? Have you ever thought of that? He's brought before Caiaphas. He spit upon. He slapped around. And the next morning, they take him to Pontius Pilate. But where did he spend the night? They didn't just let him roam around. Hey, take your last walk. Check out the scenes. Tomorrow we take you before Pontius Pilate. We read at the beginning, he was brought to Caiaphas's house. What you may not know is under Caiaphas's house was a dungeon to hold criminals called the sacred pit. Jesus spent his last night before he is scourged, whipped, and crucified in a pit. 
If you go to Israel, you can see Caiaphas' house. You can see the pit where Jesus was put. There is a small hole at the top of this pit, no more than three feet in diameter, leading down to the pit. So the only way to get into the pit is you have to be lowered from the top of the pit. The pit was only 15 by 15 feet square and 20 feet deep. The only way in is the prisoner is lowered by a rope tied around his shoulders and chest. Jesus is lowered into a cold, empty, dark pit, all alone after being publicly humiliated, mocked, and physically assaulted. This is where Jesus will spend his final night before he would be scourged and crucified the next day. Like David, he had to trust that God, his Father, would deliver him, would rescue him. He waited patiently before what was to come. Jesus knows exactly what we go through because he himself had to go through it. So when you're going through the pit in your life, remember what Jesus went through for you so that he could provide you freedom and deliverance from everything you're going through. When you're in the pit, remember this, as Jesus had to remember, victory is just around the corner. Amen?